Hello everyone, Pastor Marco here. Just want to welcome you to our podcast. We're glad to be able to share God's word with you. Want to let you know that we have a brand new website, newlifesouthcoast.com. It's a great place to stay connected and involved in the life of the church. Listen, if you live in the area, come check out one of our Sunday morning services, 9.30 or 11.30. It's a powerful time, and we also have kids ministry for all ages. I believe this message is going to encourage you and challenge you today, but also make sure you share it with a friend who needs to hear the Word of God. Blessings. I want to begin by giving us some context, some scriptures. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 5 verse 21. If you don't have your Bible, there's a giant one behind me, I think. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 21, says this. It says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means you love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, and he's joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Can you say... Amen. You know, before we get going here, I just want to make one observation about this passage that a lot of times uh, people take out of context. The word submission. Let me, um, let me explain what the Bible means by submission. The best way to understand the word submission is to understand the word permission. There's no submission without permission. Submission is not a forced thing. It's a permission. Okay. Let me illustrate it this way. In order for me to truly be her husband, she has to give me permission to be her husband. In order for her to fully be my wife, she has to give me permission to be her husband. So it's a mutual thing. It's not me demanding for her to submit or vice versa. It's giving each other permission to say, no, we're going to yield ourselves to each other. So like that, we both are going to be blessed in this thing. Okay, so submission is permission. In order for me to be your pastor, you have to give me permission to be your pastor. Right? I can't be your pastor if in your heart I'm not. You get what I'm saying? Right? It's one thing to come to church, another thing to, be per- to, to allow permission for the word to penetrate your heart. Right? Just like Jesus, when forced his life on you, it's a permission thing. Jesus gave God the Father permission to use him. He submitted his life and says, I'm willing to do what you asked me to do to save people. 
When you go to work tomorrow and you have a boss, it's up to you to give your boss permission to be your boss. Because I want to remind you of Johnny, right? Johnny, who was running around in church. Mom kept telling Johnny to sit down. Johnny wouldn't sit down. So Johnny kept doing his thing. Mom got tired, grabbed Johnny, set him down. But Johnny said, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) That's why most marriages don't work. There's no permission for us to do life together. So next time you hear the word submission, think of the word permission. Okay, I'm, I'm allowing you to speak into my life. I'm allowing you a space in my heart that, that not a lot of people have. Right? That's what the word submission actually means. It's not, woman, I'm telling you, you know. The moment you're doing that, you're forcing it. You're not asking for permission. Right? Same thing with being a pastor. You can't say I'm your pastor if I don't have permission to speak into your life. You can't say that your boss is messed up when you don't give your boss permission to actually lead. Are you following? So it's important that we must, the most important thing before we do anything else, we must give each other permission to yield to one another. Because if you notice, it's a mutual thing. Right? He said, he said, Wives, submit to your husband. But what did he say about the husband? He says, you got to love her as Christ loved the church. Last time I checked, Christ died for the church. That's how much he submitted himself to his bride. Amen? So it's a mutual agreement, or the Bible calls a covenant. A covenant is an agreement. It's a commitment. I yield my life to you. You yield your life to me. And together, now we're a unit. And the two becomes one. Can you say amen? So... Going forward, here's what we want to do today. We want it to be practical. We, want it, we, we don't want this thing to be elusive, something out there. Because our goal is to truly see families blessed and strengthened and encouraged. And so what we're going to do is we're going to share as raw as possible our experience. I'm going to share from a man's standpoint. She's going to share from a female standpoint. And I pray that together this can give us a great context of the things that God wants to do. We're no, we're no experts. We're on this journey with you, and we're learning with you, you know. And so our prayer is that together we can do this and be the best version of us possible, individually but also collectively as a couple. Can you say amen? amen. You know, so we're going to go boxing style today. Here's what I mean. We're going to go by rounds. We're going to go 10 rounds, Okay. We're going to go 10 rounds. I got five. She's got five. Okay. Three minutes each round if you know boxing. Okay. You got three minutes to make your case. I'm going to have three minutes to make my case. All right. And so that's how we're going to approach this thing. Okay. But, but bef- I'm going to let her go first. Ladies first. Right. Uh, but before we go, can I just tackle one more challenging thing about marriage? Like the most, one of the most challenging things about marriage I'm going to show you what the most challenging thing about marriage is. One of the most challenging things about marriage in 12 seconds. Can I show it to you on a video? 12 seconds. This is one of the most challenging things you're going to face in marriage in 12 seconds. You ready? Let me show you this. Watch this. What do you want? What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want? What do you want? That's it right there. That's the most challenging part of marriage in 12 seconds. Fellas, can I get an amen? So here we go. Ladies first. 
Well, it's really not that simple. This was our last argument on Friday was, what are we going to eat? And it's always me. I never know what I want. All right, so my first, the first thing that I learned, the, big, the biggest one, is that perfection is a myth. So for you ladies, how many of you guys love romantic comedies? Most of you? I hope most of you. I love romantic comedies. It's my favorite. It's what I fall asleep to. I, um, I have movies that I quote, that I repeat over and over and over again. I know them inside and out, and I just, I love knowing what the ending is going to be. I love that there, there is a happy ending. The other day, we just watched a movie, and it ended with the couple not being together, and my husband fell asleep, and I was just mumbling, stupid, what a stupid movie. And he woke up, and he was like, what happened? It didn't end the right way. And I was like, yes, they didn't end up together. So uh, the other day, I was reading uh, Carly's story. I was reading her Cinderella, and you know, we know how Cinderella ends, you know, happily ever after. Prince Charming comes in, sweeps her off her feet, and they lived happily ever after. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong. Nothing bad ever happened, which is fine. But I think a lot of times we just kind of assume when we get married, when we meet the person that we love, that this is what it's going to be like. Like, we're going to get married, and it's going to be awesome, and he's going to know everything, and he's going to be everything, and it's not going to, there's going to be no issues. He doesn't have any fault. He doesn't have any error. And so when I got into marriage, I knew that he wasn't perfect when we dated, but then when we got married, I was like, hmm, what's going on here? And uh, it really, it really hit me. And so Um, In that, I think that I started to realize, my goodness, I've been tainted by Cinderella and by Happily Ever Afters and Sleeping Beauty and all these awesome uh, childhood stories. Um, So one of the biggest things for me was that I put these impossible expectations on him. I thought that he would just know what he needed to know and know everything that was going on in the inner workings of my heart. And that just isn't, it's not reality, it's not realistic. And so I put these lofty expectations on him. And then when we had our first child, which was I got pregnant five months into us being married. And um, so it was, a whir- it was a whirlwind. I was a little bit of a mess at first. Um, when, I, when we had Gracie, I started realizing that the perfection thing was actually for me. I had put lofty expectations on myself. And so when, I had, when we had Gracie and then five months later, or actually 14 months later, we had Caden. It all happened very quickly. Um, <laughs> I realized that I am such a perfectionist. And so I was putting my expectations of myself on him and expecting him to perform. And I was doing the same thing with my children, expecting them to perform and them to do everything well. When the real issue, it was a heart issue. It was me. I was having issues in my heart because I put these high expectations on myself. And so the tip for this for this part of perfection is to give each other grace, to give your husband grace, let him mess up, let him, let him make mistakes, but to give yourself grace, let yourself mess up as well. Time. Is that three minutes exactly? Yep. Yes. My turn. I'm winning. Take, take it with you. Oh, I'm sitting down. Okay. <laughs> okay, round two. Round two. I'm going to go really heavy off the bat. You know, I'm that boxer. Uh, I, I just want to go all in. Here's, here, here, here's my, my uh, thing about first major lesson is marriage exposed me. The first two years of marriage really exposed a couple of ugly things in me. Number one is I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. 
Even though I've been called to ministry, was doing ministry and, and living and doing things for other people, but when you start sharing everything with somebody else, all your time, all your energy, all your space, all your money, it begins to expose that perhaps I'm not as selfless as I thought I was. Perhaps that now that I'm in a close confinement with somebody else, I realize, wait a minute, there's a lot of issues going on here. And because at first, when you are coming into realization that, you know, you're not perfect and you got some things to work on, the second thing that, that, comes, that came from me with selfishness was anger. Because when I, when, I, when I realized that I'm not getting my way, I started getting really angry. Now, fellas, that takes a lot to realize and own it. Right? Because a lot of times we want to justify our anger as opposed to deal with our anger. And so married life really exposed that I'm selfish and I have an anger problem that wasn't her fault. It was something that I've never dealt with. You see, when you get married, I feel that you get exposed for things that has been part of your past for many years that you never fully was able to deal with. And it's easier to point fingers. But that finger needs to come all the way around and say, what about me? Right? To quote the man, MJ... You got to start with the man in the mirror, right? And if you want to change, don't try to change the other person. Start changing yourself because you can't even change yourself, never mind trying to change somebody else. You ought to say amen to that, right? So the anger built to the point that I felt like the good news is that I didn't let myself get to a point where it was out of control. I'm, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that brought it to attention and says, you need to deal with this thing. And so I, I did one of the most humbling things for men to do. I went out and sought help. I actually went to see a counselor for the first two years of our marriage. It was the best thing that I could do. And to be honest with you, it's not like he did anything amazing. It was more like having a space to talk about issues that I've never really resolved from my past. And just to have a neutral a space and voice to be able to let me deal with those things. And after four or five sessions, he told me, he said, man... I don't think there's really anything wrong with you. I think you've just been, your sister's been shocked because you've never really been exposed this way. But, uh, but I see that, that you, can, you can overcome this thing. And thankfully, uh, here's my tip. We should not wait until we hit rock bottom to seek help. Right? Sometimes we wait until everything is wrong, then we cry out. Right? I say the moment you get a red flag on something that's not right, don't point fingers. Start with yourself. Okay, start with yourself because today we've been married for 12 years and I got to tell you, I am a better man for it than I was 12 years ago. So, all right. Okay, tip number two or lesson number two rather, let him lead. So when, um, when we got married, I got, we got married, well, I was right out of college. So I was, I had just turned 22 and um, I um, love my mother. I, like, it's not like, you know, how you love your mother. Like, I love my mother. Like, I wanted to be with her all the time, and I'm always talking to her. So I, um, <laughs> when we first got married, my first response was to always call my mom 
and see what my mom has to say. Like, how do you make pork chops? How do I make apple pie? Mom, mom, mom. Like, literally, like, all of the time. To the point where um, Marco used to call, he used to, he used to say, who are you talking to? The headquarters. Like, I always had to touch base. So the home was the headquarters. And it's just a thing that we call it now. Uh, so, <laughs> so we still call my parents' house the headquarters. And um, I didn't realize, I didn't even think that it was an issue. And then he started kind of poking fun at it a little bit. And then as he was poking fun at it, it started to poke at me a little bit in my heart. And I thought, is, is, this, is this okay? And then I just kept thinking, but I just had two babies. Like, I need to talk to my mom. I need to, I, there's a lot of things that I don't know. I really don't know how to make pork chops. How, and this was before Pinterest, so I didn't know. Like, how do you really make pork chops, though? Pinterest can't answer my question. Um, so one of the things that I really genuinely had to do is I had to practice not calling my mom. So my, my natural instinct would be call my mom, ask her what's going on. And, or if, if there was an issue that came up that I thought my dad could handle, I would, on the low, talk to my parents and then hope that what he said matched up with what they said, and I started to feel convicted. That's the wonderful thing about being in Christ and being married, because the Holy Spirit doesn't let you get away with too much. So you can start doing things, but the Holy Spirit knows that what's best for you. And so I started to get convicted by that. And so one of the things that I had to do is I had to practice not calling my parents, and, and stop questioning him. Every time he made a decision, I would question him. Well, why? Well, what about this, and what about that? And that is, that is like the number one way to cut his legs out from underneath him, questioning him all the time. And I didn't realize it until we had moved away. We moved um, in, back to Rhode Island because we were in this area at first. We moved to Rhode Island, and then I realized we have to make our home a unit. We have to start our own thing. We are our own people. My parents didn't raise me to be asking them questions all the time. They raised me to be an independent woman and to come together with my husband and to make our own family and to do our own thing. Um, so the tip for this, for this one is to build him up and to not tear him down, to be encouraging, encourage more and criticize less. Ready? My next thing is this. She doesn't have a crystal ball. One of my major parts of frustration in our first years of marriage is that I wanted her to know what I was thinking and what I was feeling, what I wanted without communicating it. And I remember when we went to premarital counseling, one thing that stood out to me, I didn't realize it was going to play a big role in my, it was when the counselor said, no one has a crystal ball. You have to communicate. I was like, ah, right, cool. Sounds good. But then when you get in the thick of it, you're thinking, why she, doesn't she know? Right? She should know. I live here. I'm here. My face is saying it. You know what I mean? Why, why she's not getting with this? You know what I mean? And so that became a huge frustration in our, in our marriage until I realized, wait a minute. How am I supposed to go and do anything without letting her know what I'm thinking and feeling and, and expressing it? And this is a huge struggle for us men because, uh, you know, we get home and we have already exhausted our vocabulary, right? And they still have a whole nother reservoir of words, you know. We come home, we're like, how was your day? We're like, school. And you ask her, how was your day? Be ready for a full explanation. Like, you know, and, and so... 
And so I had to learn that, that I struggle with communication, but I cannot make that an excuse. I cannot just say I'm a guy, I don't talk, if I want my marriage to work. Right? So I had to become, here's the key, I had to become intentional about communicating. Because I don't feel like I have to be intentional about it. I have to do it on purpose. And so uh, over the years, we've, we've worked on this to the point that now we, we, we've made it that a point that once a week, we just have to check in with each other. And not just think that just because we live together, we're on the same page. And so now we do that once a week. Like we check in. We just have a conversation. Obviously, we talk all the time, but we want to have a deeper check-in. What's going on with you? Is there anything else we need to talk about? And let me just say this, ladies, though. That's all great, but you have to understand we're not going to be your girlfriends. Like you need your girl. <laughs> like, like we're. We'll talk to a certain extent, but some things are meant for your girlfriends. Like some, you know what I mean? Like the debriefing of some things. It's like, go talk to your girl. Because I can go to a movie with my dude. We don't have to say a word, but we hung out. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, you ever go to movies? They're like, what'd you guys do? Nothing. It's cool, though. Like, that's how we hang out. We go to movies. And she's like, how do you guys talk? You watch the movie. I was like, that's the point. We talk without talking. We grab, you know, we watch the movie, grab some wings. It was good. Right? So in other words, we got to talk with each other, but there are certain things that are for your girlfriends. Fellas, can I get an amen? (laughs) So my tip is, have a day at least that you are intentional about checking in with each other about what's going on in your life. Okay. Third thing that I learned. It's not all about the kids. (laughs) <laughs> so, like I explained before, I just want to give you a, a quick little timeline so you, may, you can understand the intensity of what happened when I got married. I graduated from college in May. We were married in February. I was pregnant in July. I had Gracie in April. And then by September, I was pregnant with Caden. So, within two years, I had these huge, major life changes that happened. Just to give you some context of why I was such a hot mess at first, because we're making it sound very nice and packaged and to the three minutes, but it was really, really, really messy. Um, So it's not all about the kids. So when, um, I think naturally as a mother, when you have your baby, it, you know, your natural response is to, you cling to your baby, it's your baby. You know, you carry this baby for nine months, and there's this instinct that God gave us to care for and to nurture our baby. Um, But at the same time, you shouldn't neglect your husband for your baby. Obviously, in the beginning, I want we have to be realistic. In the beginning, the baby is up all night. You're nursing. You're doing all this stuff. You know, you have to do laundry. You have doctor's appointments, and they are very time-consuming. But I do believe that there's a way to balance it. And I was not good at balancing it at all. And you have to feed your marriage if you want it to grow. So I can't, I can't ignore, I couldn't ignore Marco and be with the babies thinking that, oh, our marriage is going to be fine and he's not going to feel neglected and he doesn't have any feelings. He just understands that I'm a mom and that I'm tired and that I'm doing all these things. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. He didn't see that. He could, well, let me say this. He could see it, but he doesn't have that natural instinct that a woman has. And so I had to be 
much more intentional about that. And it really wasn't until we got into we got to this point where we were arguing all the time that I realized I've been neglecting him. I haven't been his wife. And um, I had to I had to get to the point and also get to the realization that um, I had to treat him like the man and not like my son. He's not my son. He's my husband. And I had to, I had to make sure that I was making that distinction because, again, these are things that we kind of get in the habit of doing as women. We're, you know, we're fixing things and doing all of this stuff. And I had to remember that while it's an awesome responsibility to have children, they are a byproduct of your covenant that you made with your husband. So when you get married, you know, you know the, the natural the natural progression of things is you get married, you have babies and all, and, you know, and all those wonderful things. But we have to remember that they're a byproduct of our love and of our covenant. And, and God has given them a destiny. God's given your children a desti- destiny. My children aren't my destiny. I have to sh- help them and shape them into that. So, um, so this tip is to date your husband. So you know, don't lose yourself. Fix yourself up a little bit. Look cute, you know, when he comes home, like, yeah, your yoga pants are awesome, but, like, can you do your hair? You know what I mean? Like, can you put it in a cute little messy bun or something so he doesn't come home, like, the same way that he left you? Um, and these are, like, practical tips because it makes it, it makes it better. And for you fellas, you also have to date your wife, okay? So you know that she was up all night and that she's nursing and that she's a hot mess. Like, can you bring her flowers maybe? You know what I mean? Like, can you... Do something like that. All right, time's up. All right. (laughs) Don't go too hard. Here's my next point. Washing dishes is sexy. I found that out. Here's how I found this out is that we all, all of us have our love languages. You ever heard of the five love languages? I'm going to give you the five love languages that we all have, okay? Physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, or quality time, okay? If you're not sure about your love language, Google it today. Take a quiz with your significant other, and and it's so accurate. It, It tells you what your top three is, right? So, Majority of us guys, our number one love language, 99.9% guys, is physical touch, right? So I thought, man, how come she's not reciprocating the love? Like, I'm touching you. Like, I'm, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and so that was a frustration because here's what we do. We think that people reciprocate love the way that we receive love. That's the selfishness in us. Right? We want people to react a certain way because we feel that way. So I was like, man, how come I'm not getting the love? Like, I am trying. You know, not realizing that that's not her number one love language. So we took the quiz and it revolutionized our marriage. Right? When I realized, wait, her number one love language is acts of service. Right? And so, man, I started helping around the house. And man, did she thought that was sexy. When we moved to New Bedford about four years ago, the house that we bought didn't have a dishwasher. So I became the, a professional dishwasher. It has become one of my favorite things to do now. You know, when I know she's coming home and, and, and the house is crazy, here I go. I, I start getting to work. You know what I mean? Put my iPad on the window and I start doing my thing. You know, and it's become such a great exercise because it just takes my mind off things. And then my wife walks in and thinks I'm the most sexiest man in the world. 
So you can't lose. Okay. So the tip for this one is take the love language quiz. And if you really care about your spouse, then, then, then show her the appreciation that she loves. So top three for her is acts of service and then, and then words of affirmation and then quality time. So those are the three things that I have to constantly feed into our relationship. And then I only have, you know, all five for me is physical touch, physical touch, physical touch, physical touch, <laughs> physical touch. I'm going right, to stop okay, Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> you got to cut him off. He gets a little excited. Is this on? Am I on? Oh, there we go. Yeah, we got to stop him before he gets carried away and embarrasses me. You guys should see me up here when he starts talking kind of feisty. My whole face turns red. I can't stand it. (laughs) All right. Okay, so this one's a little bit, this one's a little deep, and I was, uh, I hesitated to share this one, but I felt like, you know, I had to. I felt like I needed to, I needed to do this. So um, this next one is called the fear factor. Um, so when we got married, uh, my husband used to call me the voice of doom all the time. And I never, I didn't really quite get it. And I was like, why does he keep calling me the voice of doom? And then <laughs> I realized it was, my, it was my speech. It was the way that I would talk. He would uh, present something. And, you know, as some of you know, you know, we, we go at things full force. He's always trying to try new things. And when we got married, that was so not my thing. <laughs> I'm not trying anything new. I'm here. I'm fine. I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. And uh, that wasn't how he was. And so I didn't, you know, at the time, I didn't realize that God was trying to pull something. He was trying to pull something out of me and take me to a new place in him. And um, so he used to call me the voice of doom and because my tendency was worry and anxiety. I was always worried about something, anxious about something. And how many of you guys know that worry and anxiety are like gateway drugs to fear? But like the, deep-suited, the deep-seated fear, not like, oh, I'm kind of scared of this. Like the fear where you can almost like envision things coming after you. And you can, you know, I'm, this, is, this is a little bit heavy, I told you. Uh, I got to a point with, my, with fear uh, when we... After we had Caden and we moved to Rhode Island and, I, and we said, you know, we're, we're going to do this. Like, this is our family. We're going to build our family. Fear became such a real thing in my heart to the point where I, um, I remember one time praying. And we had lived, we lived like in, in Pawtucket, really in the city. And um, I went in the basement one time. And in between the washer and dry, we were renting on second floor. In between the washer and dry, I smelt something. And I was like, what's that gross smell? There was a dead rat in there. And... Um, I was so scared that I remember going upstairs and praying, and for weeks, weeks, I would pray, and every time I closed my eyes, I would see things coming at my ankles, like, like rats trying to actually bite my ankles, and it was so, but it was so ridiculous, it was, it was so ridiculous, now I realize it was ridiculous, but at the time, it was this fear that had so taken hold of me, and so I needed to really start to practice facing my fears and looking at head on and saying, I'm not going to be afraid of you. And um, one, of the th- one of the two biggest stressors, um, and well, one big stressor in marriage is, is finances. And um, so that was a big stress for me. I would, if we didn't have enough money, it's like I would avoid my, I would avoid looking at the bank account and I didn't want to look at it. And I would just hope that things would magically get paid and I didn't have to worry about anything. And um, another one was a big one. It was uh, vulnerability. Um, 
you know, when you become a mom and you just are so um, invested in your children, you do really start to neglect intimacy, if we're being honest. You start to neglect it because you're tired, you're not feeling it, you're spending so much time with the baby, he's not helping or whatever you're thinking is going on, and you neglect some of those things. Give me an extra minute, don't cut me off, okay? Um, (laughs) You start to, really though, you start to neglect some of those things. And for me, vulnerability, it was him seeing my imperfections. I talked, I talked before about the perfection thing. And so facing my fears was a huge thing. I had to look at these things head on. So even with vulnerability, I had to look at it head on and say, I'm not going to be afraid of, of, of being exposed, of him seeing me, of being intimate with him. I'm, I can't be afraid of those things anymore because if I do, my fear is going to get in my family, and it's going to break us apart. That's how serious it gets. And so these things that we have that are deep-seated, deep-rooted in us, you have to face them. And so that's this tip, is to face your fears head-on, whatever it is. Don't be afraid of it. Do not be afraid of anything. You face it head-on. Amen? Amen. All right, my tip number four is fight fear. You know, we, we, we said we're going to approach this like boxing, right? In boxing, there's rules, right? But right before the two boxers get into it, the, the ref says, here's the rules. Don't hit below the belt. You know, you can't kick in boxing, and you can't bite, even though Mike Tyson did. Like, you can't be biting people in boxing. Um, don't fight to hurt each other. Fight to grow. Because I remember we would get into some ugly fights. It was like we just almost like wanted to get one on the other. But then realizing that we're just losing. We're both losing. Nobody wins when you fight that way. When you're fighting, don't bring up everything else. (laughs) Fight about what's in the moment. Like fight to resolve the very thing that we're fighting about. You know, once in a while we fight, she'll tell you, I'll I'll say to her, is this about right now? Or is this about life? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's easy to bring up everything else, right? But that's not the point. The point is to fight to grow. There's going to be fights, right? It's impossible to be in a relationship without fighting. And to be honest with you, healthy fighting leads to healthy relationships, you know? So fight about what's in front of you, okay? Here's my tip for fellas. Go for a walk and remember why you are in this relationship. That always helps me. We're on the same team. I always come back home with a better perspective because I'm a, I told you last week, I, I'm a terrible fighter because all I do is say what she says louder, you know, because I, I, I'm not very articulate when I'm upset. So I need to go for a walk and gather my thoughts and come back. And, and, and the most magical words you can say in a relationship is, I'm sorry, right? Never, ever, ever use the word divorce. Remember one time I saw Billy Graham on TV, national TV. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists to ever lived, um, married for 60 years. They asked him, and they asked him and his wife, did you guys ever thought about calling quits? She said, he said, no, from the beginning, we told each other, no matter how bad he gets, I might want to kill you, but I'm not going to divorce you. <laughs> okay. And so that was a commitment that they made to each other, that we will fight, but we will never use that word. Okay. Especially if in your line of life, there's been relationships that way. I believe God starts a new normal with you and says, that's not going to be your portion. That's not going to be your future. 
Okay. So fight fair. Fight to build each other. Amen. All right, last one. Are you guys enjoying this? All right. So my last one is to pray. And I know that, you know, that sounds very simple. But when I started praying about our marriage and praying about my fears and praying for my husband, it changed everything. It literally started to, uh, it started to shape who I was. It started to shape our marriage in this in a beautiful way, in a full way, it brought more fullness into our marriage because I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't grinding anymore. And, you know, I'm better at arguing, obviously, and I can get my point across. And, I, you know, all those things are good logistically, but if, it's like I can do those things and win an argument. But if, if, my, if my spirit isn't full, if our marriage isn't full, it's like, okay, well, that didn't even feel right. It's like it doesn't give you any kind of gratification so, um, and again, as a mom, it was, was kind of tricky to find those times to pray and to read my Bible, but I started to be creative with it, and I started to uh, listen to music while I listened to worship while I was uh, washing the dishes, or started teaching the kids Bible verses. I used to do that when Gracie and Caden were really little. We would have a Bible verse a week that we would memorize. Do you remember that? I used to put it up on the wall. I used to put um, the Bible verses up on the wall in construction paper, and we would do that, and I would let that be my devotion and let that be my time with God. And in doing that, it started to change our home because we're the, the women really are the thermostat for your home. So if, if you're angry when he comes home and you're irritated and all that, he can feel that. He comes in and it's like, it's suddenly a hostile environment. It's like I came from work and then he walks in the house and it's like, what, you know, what's happened here? And when I started to change, when I started to recognize that some of that was my responsibility and owned it, it started to change things. And I started to pray for him more and I started to pray for our sex life and I started to pray for our kids. And that changed, it really, I just keep, I, I can't think of another word except for it changed everything. And, and it's biblical to pray about everything and let it be a continuous conversation that you have. And um, in, ev- in every area of your life, that is probably the number one thing that I would say. And so the tip for that is to pray more. Literally, pray about everything, every little detail. If it's like you keep arguing about something. And I started to realize that when I stopped criticizing him and started praying about the things that were bothering me, suddenly he, those things would either come up in conversation and we'd be able to have a healthy conversation about it, or they would stop because I would pray, like, God, if this is me, change me. But if this, if this is him, which I'm kind of hoping it's him and it's not me, uh, <laughs> Holy Spirit, please convict him. Let it not be me. So that's the tip is to pray more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last round. You know, I want to kind of echo what she said earlier is to invest in your marriage and not just your kids. You didn't marry your kids. You married each other, right? So don't neglect each other because you have kids now. And ladies, don't stop looking your best because you had kids. We're visual. You know, I'm going to talk about sex in a couple of weeks. I hope you're ready. Um, But men are visual. And the reason why uh, pornography is such a big industry is because they tapped into something that's supposed to be a healthy thing and have twisted it and made it a perverted thing. Right? Men supposed to enjoy their wives and wives supposed to enjoy their husbands. 
but when that's not there, then guys start going elsewhere to look for that stuff, and it's not healthy at all. So, ladies, don't stop looking your best because you had kids. Guys, don't, don't expect it to look like she did before she had kids because you got to embrace her for who she is and where she is because thank God that we don't have kids. You know, seriously, it's, you know, it's to me, I think that's a frustrating thing to hear guys talk about their woman after they had kids. It's like, listen, that's the sacrifice that their body goes through. And a real man would appreciate that and embrace it and, and bless her through it and not put it down for it. And I'll look down on anything, you know. But, you know, we can all do a push up here and there. Sit up here and there doesn't hurt. You know, watch what the health, if that may help you. Um, but here's my tip as we close. Don't forsake date nights. You know, we have five kids, so going out for us is very difficult. It's not easy to find someone to babysit five kids. So what we do is we have date night in the house. You know, Friday nights is our date night. And so we make sure the kids go to bed early so we can have a full Friday night which is like the version of turn up for married people. It's like, it's 8 o'clock, the kids are in bed, we're about to turn up. Half hour later, we're sleeping. <laughs> I look over, she's snoring. <laughs> I'm watching Sports Center. turn up! You know. <laughs> it's true, right? So here's my equation as we end. Takeout plus Netflix equals Friday sauce. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Come on, is this helpful? Is this, is this helping? I want to close in prayer this morning. Like I said, we're going to go slowly next week. Well, next week, we're going to talk about going the distance. We're going to have a couple come up next week. They've been married for 42 years. Okay. That's the goal, right? It's to go to distance. So we're going to talk about that next week with this couple. And then, like I said, the week after that, we're going to talk about some sex stuff. You know, we need to do that. Uh, we need to be a healthy church in every aspect of life. Amen. I want to pray, though. We want to pray for you guys today. I want to start by praying for married couples. If you're a married couple, would you mind standing where you are? I just want to pray for you if you're a married couple. Would you grab, 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 grab the hand of your spouse. I want to pray for marriages, specific if you're married, stand up. Even if, if, even if your spouse is not next to you, if you're married, I want to pray for your marriage today. Father, we come to you, Lord. I want to ask your blessing over marriages, Lord. Father, we know that society is drifting away from your purpose, drifting away from your plans. But God, I believe you bring us together to reconcile us back to you and to your will for our lives. And Father, right from the beginning, you said it's not good for men to be alone. You created marriage to be a blessing in our lives. And God, I want to lift up all the married couples in this room. Bless them, Lord. God, I pray that they reconnect with the love of their lives. I pray, God, that they go back to their first love. I pray, God, that there is a, a sense of newness in their marriage, Lord. Lord, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit is breathing fresh life over their marriage. 
God, I pray, Lord, that there's nothing that will hinder them from enjoying each other, enjoying their homes, enjoying their future together, Lord. God, I pray for healing over marriages today. God, I pray where there's hurts and disappointments and bitterness, Spirit of Jesus, come. Bring healing, Lord. Bring peace. Bring restoration. Father, I pray that today, as we talked about these things, I pray that married couples go home and say, let's implement some of these things. Let's bless one another. Let's be a support system. Let's be a unit, Lord. God, I pray for those who have children. Bless their children. God, I pray their homes is filled with peace and grace and love and understanding. God, I pray that their homes is enjoyed. God, I pray that they don't enjoy life based on their bank account, but they enjoy life based on each other, Lord. And I pray you'll provide for all their needs, Lord. Bless all the married couples that we have in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that did encourage you and that you can share with someone who needs to hear from God. And we hope to see you soon. God bless.